Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today, a listener writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is, what can church history teach us about the state of the church today? Well, every year, Ligonier uh, Ministries, in conjunction with Lifeway Research, puts out an excellent uh, study. I highly recommend it. It's called The State of Theology of Christianity. And one aspect of the 2020 uh, survey focused on the deity of Christ. On the State of Theology website, they they write that historically evangelicals have affirmed the authority of the Bible and salvation by Jesus Christ. The Bible testifies often to the deity of Christ. He is God incarnate, the Word made flesh. And so it may be surprising that the majority of the general U.S. population rejects the deity of Christ. Still, almost a third of evangelicals agree that he was merely, the study says, a good teacher. And the study shows that 52% agree with that finding and 36% disagree. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And so the question of whether Jesus was a good man, a teacher, or a liar is one that the Bible is extremely explicit on. The Gospel of John has seven I am statements that that show that Jesus is fully God and fully man. There's also the miracles in the Gospels. Paul's, there's also Paul's teaching on Jesus, uh, the deity of Christ, and the other epistles. Jesus is presented in Scripture as fully God and fully man. And it's not only that Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he did, what he said he would do, uh, but that he is also soon returning in his second coming. And so church history has much to teach Christians today. It provides examples of, of responses to wrong doctrine with sound biblical doctrine. In fact, in what remains of our time together, I, I, I want to help you uh, to understand how the deity of Jesus is not only biblical, it's the position the church has stood fast on now for its entire history. In fact, uh, throughout the first 300 years of the church, various heresies had come and gone. Few of any of the heresies would cause significant issues like those of Arianism. Arius had been a presbyter in the Alexandrian church. Jonathan Hill, in the history of Christian thought, says this, The Arians argue that God is by nature essentially uncreated. He and owes his existence to nothing. That being so, they argued the Son of God could not be God because he owes his existence to something else, the Father. And if the Son was begotten by the Father, then, then there was a time when he did not exist, which is hardly compatible with being God. However, how can there be two gods, he asks. And so Arius' belief centered on how the Son was not divine, but rather a creator, or rather a creature, or an archangel. And this caused conflict in the church because the church at this time believed that Jesus was both fully God and fully human, as Paul discusses in Philippians 2. 
So the Council of Nicaea was called to deal with issues raised by Arius's excommunication and also to settle the meaning of what doctrine exactly was and what orthodoxy meant. And so the council at Nicaea ended up formulating a biblical response to Arius with the Nicaean Creed. We recite the Nicaean Creed today. No other figure in church history shines as brightly as Athanasius. Athanasius was born in 295 AD. He quickly rose through the ranks of the Alexandrian church. He became a personal assistant to the bishop and was there at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. This man had a strong faith, a sharp mind, and his argument was based on the the belief that the Father and the Son are one. Athanasius argued that the divine will has nothing to do with the decision of the will. Jonathan Hill, in A History of Christian Thought, writes, It is the nature of the Father to beget the Son, just as it is the nature of the Son to be begotten. This essentially means that the divine nature itself exists in this way, on on the one hand, begetting, and on the other, begotten. Athanasius was heavily persecuted throughout his life for upholding the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. And at Nicaea, it was distinctly clarified what the church would believe, and Arius' views were soundly rejected. And as the church began to form, more attacks came against it, and so the, the need to clarify precisely what Scripture was became even more critical. And to determine what Scripture was, they used the following test— one, the writer had to have been with Christ during his earthly ministry. Two, they had to have been uh, apostles who believed to have commissioned by Jesus himself. And three, they were authorized to spread his teaching. Well, the most, the controversy on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, it continued to rage between two of the East's most influential churchmen, Cyril of Alexandria and Nestorius, a patriarch of Constantinople. Dr. Gonzalez, in The Story of Christianity, The Early Church to the Dawn of the Reformation, Volume 1, page 61, writes, This debate primarily revolved around who Jesus was, and was he fully God and fully man or not? Nestorius insisted Christ had two natures, while Cyril, branding this belief in two natures, uh, uh, in the two natures of Christ, said he had only one. Dr. Hill, in The History of Christian Thought, Page 78 writes, The Western Church steeped in the situation when Leo, Bishop of Rome, wrote a famous letter to Flavian known as the Tome, in which he approved of the condemnation of Eutides. Leo spoke of the two natures of Christ, one divine and one human. He taught that even after the incarnation, Christ retains these two natures, but he remains a single person identical with the second person of the Trinity. And so the controversy surrounding the person and the work of Jesus, it was settled at the Council of Chalcedon, and Emperor Theodosius in 451 AD called this council to, to solve this problem. This council approved Bishop Leo's teaching from the Tome and put forth the Chalcedon Creed, an expansion of the Nietzschean Creed. Jonathan Hill in the Handbook to the History of Christianity, page 98, says, This creed agreed with Cyril that Christ was one person, identical with the pre-existent Son. It also agreed with Leo after the Incarnation he possessed two distinct natures, one human and one divine, he says. The great Princeton scholar B.B. Warfield's work on the Bible is exceptional. I highly recommend it. But so is his work on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. 
uh, Warfield said this, in proportion as as the grace of saving God in Christ is obscured or passes into the background, in that proportion does Christianity slip from our grasp. Christianity is summed up in one phrase, God was in Christ reconciling the world with himself, 2 Corinthians 5.19. And B.B. Warfield continues saying, where this great confession is contradicted or neglected, he says, there is no Christianity. Man, that he is so on the money, B.B. Warfield is. He is correct. Biblical Christianity is a revealed religion, whereby God in Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.19 states, and B.B. Warfield cites, has revealed himself in Christ alone. In the incarnation, what we see is Jesus, fully God, fully man. He came on a rescue mission under the sentence of death to save sinners. At the cross, Jesus said in John 19.30, it is finished. And now Jesus pleads the merits of his own blood on behalf of sinners, and they are saved. Jesus serves as a high priest uh, over his people. He lives to serve as their advocate and their intercessor. And so as we return back to the state of theology, the study shows that 52% agree and 36% disagree that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. As we considered in this show today, it's not only the Bible's teaching that is clear, it's also the church's stand upon the word that matters. And to that point, what the study shows is how we view the Bible matters. Because scripture reveals the truth about God, who who has revealed himself to be the I am God. In Exodus uh, 3.14, God says, I am who I am. Seven times in the gospel, John has shown how how that statement in Exodus 3.14 is is true by, by Jesus saying, I am, seven times. You see, the I am God of Exodus 3.14 is now the incarnate Son of God and the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Biblical Christianity grounds itself in the truth of all that Scripture teaches. And Scripture is clear as the morning sunrise, testifying of the glory of Christ to come and Christ to return at the sunset of redemptive history. Christ is all and throughout the whole Bible, from the first words in Genesis 1 to the last words in Revelation 22 and everywhere in between, Jesus is the apex, the goal, the centerpiece, whichever you prefer, of Scripture. Now, the state of theology is a critical study. It shows where we are as the church. The deity of Jesus is critical to the health and the well-being of the church. Without the deity of Christ, Christians may as well rip the New Testament from its pages. It's all throughout the New Testament. The deity of Jesus is everywhere in the Gospels where we see it in the miracles, the teaching of Christ. People recognize his authority. Even one in, in for example, in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they, they recognize Jesus speaking as one with authority uh, in contradiction to the scribes and the Pharisees who teach the opinions of the law, not the word of God. And so we see that everywhere in the Gospels. Uh, We see it in the miracles. We see it in the teaching of Christ. We see it also in the epistles. We see it everywhere from Romans to Jude and Revelation. As Christians, we don't have merely a good teacher. We have one in Jesus who is fully God and fully man. He is not only a good teacher, 
He's also the God-man who alone can offer the forgiveness of sins because he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you haven't believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you think that Jesus is only a good teacher, you're missing a, a significant part about who Jesus is. Jesus is the I am God. He has come, and he said it in his own words seven times, seven times, that he is God. And by the way, you can read the book of signs, which is John uh, John 5 through 12, and notice all the times when, when Jesus performs a miracle. Notice how the religious leaders respond to the miracles, to the teaching of Christ. They understood what Jesus was saying. They understood what Jesus was doing. He was claiming to be God because he was God come in flesh, as John 1 tells us. And so the claim by of this, this study that, that people think that they can somehow be a Christian and yet not believe in the deity of Christ You cannot be a Christian if you do not believe in the deity of Christ, period, period. If you don't believe me, in fact, 1 John uh, even deals with this. Uh, You can hardly, hardly read the New Testament without seeing some teaching on the deity of Christ. It's just not possible to be a Christian if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. You're not a Christian. I'll say it that way. You're not. And so if if you think that the Bible doesn't teach this, if, if you think that somehow the church hasn't stood on this, then you are gravely mistaken. Jesus is more than a good teacher, a, a moral example. He is fully God and fully man, and he is going to return, and he is going to mete out his justice on the living and the dead. And if you haven't repented and believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are headed for hell, a place of unending and unrelenting and conscious punishment. And I plead with you on the basis of Romans 10, 9 through 16, and Acts 16, 31, to repent and to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we should pray, pray earnestly for our family, and our friends who are not saved. And we must tell them the truth, as Ephesians 4.15 tells us, to speak the truth in love. We must contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, as Jude 3 says, and as 1 Peter 3.15 says, to give an answer for the reason for our hope, but to do it with gentleness and respect. Let us be about that business, speaking the truth, the truth from God's word, revealed in God's word, in love to those all around us. Because, you know what? Here's the other thing. At the head of the list of virtues and the fruits of the Spirit, the things that God is producing in us is is love. Love. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. These are things that the Holy Spirit is producing in you, dear Christian. And he is using the word. And so as you engage with other people, remember, remember that. Remember that the things that God is producing in you, these are going to help you to be able to respond in a manner that is consistent 
with what you believe. And that is, we have the truth. Let us then take the truth and then also reflect the truth in love to those who stand opposed to the truth. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.